0: Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show. You're on with me, your host, Linda Gross. All right, we have a great show planned for you today. We are having uh, my guest, Howard Brown, and we're going to be talking a little bit about staging your comeback so when life hands you a stage two diagnosis what do you do well here's what Howard did he stages a comeback welcome Howard to the show so glad to have you on
0: thank you thank you thank you glad to be here and uh, glad to be part of the men's advocate show
1: all right all right, so let's let's dive into this thing, shall we? We have yeah, so no many doubt. topics to cover. I, I'm sure our audience is going to be really um happy to hear our show today. In fact, if you want to um ask a question or leave a comment for uh Howard, you can do so. 323, three, dial in, 323-642-1677, three, 323-642-1677. Three, seven, seven, three, three, seven, seven. Or if you're too shy, I will be watching for you in the chat room. And if you're listening live right now, uh, the chat room address is blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT, Linda Gross, forward slash DT. Linda Gross. All right. So take us back in time. Um, you know, you had that cancer diagnosis of, you know, some people would just curl up and want to die already, but you took a different approach with that. In fact, they handed you a diagnosis more than once. So tell us a little bit about that journey and what uh, insights you can in- impart to our audience.
0: So Linda, I just had graduated Babson College, the number one school for entrepreneurial studies in the world. Uh, I got a dream job at NCR Corporation to start my career in their training program to build a solid foundation moving forward. I had worked a year or two in the field um, in the bank services department, making some bank and making some cash. And then I got promoted to Dayton, Ohio, to go back to the mothership, the world headquarters, and I'm driving out on uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I on my little cheekbone, I actually found, uh, like, a little bit of a bump. So this is 1989, okay, in the summer of 89. I get out of the car to get gas. I use a pay phone. Remember those? And I actually <laughs> called mom and dad and said, you know, I got something there. It's probably nothing. But I keep looking in the rear-view mirror, and it's there. But it doesn't hurt. So, you know, I think it's nothing. So I start my job. And I'm working out at the gym, playing basketball. I don't feel anything, but it's getting bigger. My mom comes out to uh, basically set up my uh, apartment because like clean sheets and dishes and, you know, household stuff, you kind of need that. And I didn't go do that. So she came out to visit and she saw this right when she got off the plane. This is when you could actually go to the gate and greet somebody. Yeah. And she says, what's that? I go, mom, this is what I'm telling you about. And she goes, it's starting to look like a, a small marble and it is getting bigger. Uh, but it didn't hurt me at all. And I wore glasses at the time. But we didn't know anybody in Dayton, Ohio. We, and we had people at work. You know, we could, could have, you know, got a doctor there. But I was, I was functioning. I was fine. I happened to fly home a couple of weeks later to speak in Boston. And I came home early uh, that weekend. And my dad tricked me. We are supposed to go play tennis. And we went to the community hospital. They looked at it in the emergency room. And they said, it's a cyst. Take this uh, antibiotic. You'll be fine. Okay. Wow. All right. So, I, I, meanwhile, it, it's noticeable. My glasses are a little crooked. I go and I deliver a, a kick-butt presentation on disaster recovery for banking systems, which is a regulation uh, coming into play. And I come home. I'm not feeling great. My dad takes me back to the hospital. They, this time, take a biopsy. And actually, they actually take two biopsies. And then the waiting game happens. Well, I go to the airport, I fly around the country, and my parents are freaking out because we don't have any information get called back to Boston. Okay, it was probably September of 89. And I show up at this community hospital and now there's not one doctor, there's seven. Oh. Having a big party for me. <laughs> now they didn't still tell me what I had. I didn't know, uh, but they said, this is maybe 11 o'clock. They go at 2 p.m. You have an appointment at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. Don't be late. And my parents and I look at each other and are like, okay we won't be late it didn't really register but i was like "Uh oh this has something to do with cancer maybe it was skin cancer or a mole or something i had no idea yeah get to the hospital it's quite intimidating um it's supposed to be a happy place but you know people there are uh bald they're wearing masks they're immune compromised Uh, you know this is 1989 and i go there and i'm like there's all these old people i'm 23 and a half years old and Then down the hall, there's the pediatrics, which is the Jimmy Fund, which is the the big charity there for kids' uh, blood cancers. And I go hang out there because at least they're eating candy, playing games and having fun. So then I get called in and they do a battery of tests and I go to the doctor's office and this great doctor, George Canales, who invented chemotherapy uh, for uh, certain blood cancers. And then there's a young doctor in the corner. My parents are sitting behind me and he basically comes out and says, young man, T-cell, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We're going to pound that out with heavy-duty chemotherapy because you're young. I didn't hear another word. I heard Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. I look up at the doctor, the young doctor. I just met him. His name is Eric Rubin. I go, what's he talking about? I look back at my mom. She's in tears. My dad looks like a statue. And then they proceed to kind of tell us what's going on And that uh, a few more tests. And then within a day or two, I'm starting high-dose chemotherapy to knock this thing out. Well, hmm. stage four advanced, uh, accelerated, uh, aggressive lymphoma, which is blood cancer of the lymphatic system. It, 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 you don't even want a doctor to Google it, and you couldn't because there was no cell phones, there were no uh, internet, and, and computers were just coming into play. And so my dad went, You know, we got home, my dad went to the library and got a book on cancer. We invited my sister to uh, the dinner, we started crying. I was a deer in the headlights. I was pretty much in denial uh I mean, basically, life as I knew it was stopped in my tracks. Mm-hmm. so okay, I go to do. the ho- I, yeah, so um, I go to the hospital, um I'm supposed to start chemotherapy, I'm freaking out because I'm up all night, and I get there, and they like, "Your liver function test, okay, is too high. Come back tomorrow, we'll check again. I was like, "Oh my God, really." So instead, Dr. Rubin puts his arm around me. He goes, we're going to take a field trip. We're going to go to the cryogenic center. He goes, it's, it's really good that, that this happened uh, because uh, before you do any chemotherapy, you're going to go leave a sample, a sperm sample. And I was like, why? You just told me I'm going to die, basically. They go, just go do it. It might feel good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So I did, and I kind of forgot about it except for the annual bill for over a decade. Now, let me go back and tell you that. Um,
1: I didn't know it was the cancer doctor that had the foresight to do all of that. That's like I, a really cool, you know, segue there.
0: Fertility was not talked about. Needs to be talked about for anyone that is, you know, uh, young onset that has a potential to want a family. Um, so it was very either God-driven or, or that, this, you know, Eric Rubin is brilliant. And I've told him he's yeah. brilliant a million times. So what happened was is that I came in. And I did chemotherapy, and the, the side effects were horrible. So, you know, I didn't even want to go back the next day, but I did. And three straight days, I'm doing rock em chemo, and it wipes you out. And it wipes you out even fir- harder the more that you do, because it's breaking down your body. And this is supposed to help you, right? It's supposed to reset your immune system, reset, uh, you know, the white cells, the blood cells, your platelets. So I'm learning on the job here. You know, I'm learning on the job. And I I, I started to get to go to Dana-Farber a lot because they got to check your blood counts because what they're doing is they're affecting your immune system and you are immune compromised. So basically before COVID, I was wearing gloves and masks and with a very susceptible immune system um, to fungus and disease. And I couldn't eat certain foods and um, I lost a lot of weight. But my mom and I were going. I lived about 40 minutes from there. My mom was driving me in. And I kind of knew the routine and started to meet people. And my mom noticed one day they they give out candy. They have candy everywhere to try to make some sweetness. They were out of candy. And my mom's like, why are you out of candy? And my mom's a candy-holic. Kids love candy. And, and, and uh, you know, care, care people like candy. She goes, we don't have any more. So my mom, Nancy Brown, who's a force in nature, calls 10 candy companies and had literally for years and years and years pounds and pounds of candy delivered to Dana-Farber uh, donations so she solved that problem really quickly so i'm doing chemotherapy and i go to my fifth year high school reunion and i'm bald i'm, I'm skinnier and listen i heard the guys out there dead man walking poor bastard i'm 23 years old right i mean most people didn't, didn't know anyone that had cancer and anyone so young and they thought it was a death sentence. And I, um, I was wearing gloves and a mask. And I was the vice president of my high school class. And I was an all-state in basketball. And um, I, I didn't know. And then I kept failing every cocktail they threw at me. And I didn't get any piece of good news until February. And February was where my twin sister typed for bone marrow transplant. And we found out that she was an exact match a one in 25,000 chance of being a match. Wow. So now they had to kind of get me to a point where I could actually go for a bone marrow transplant, now called a stem cell transplant. So I made it roll the clock forward to May 24th. Today is my bone marrow birthday, 33 years. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, And quite frankly, my sister, they extracted her, uh, in the morning, they extracted her bone marrow. A week before, they put me through rockam chemo, full-body radiation. Listen, we had no idea what the future was going to hold. They were trying to save my life. I actually have my bag of life. This is the bone marrow bag. I took it. I don't know why I took it, but I took it. This is the bone marrow bag they infused in me, and it actually saved my life. I was in isolation for 34 more days, and I got, was a boy in the bubble, and I let me out and I was on very big restrictions, and I did a clinical trial to strengthen my DNA and my natural killer cells. And I walked out of Dana-Farber after going through Stepping Stones, which is a recovery program and and the support program, in uh, December of 1990, uh, going towards surveillance, which means quarterly scans, quarterly blood tests. And I, I moved to Florida to get out of the cold New England winter and rebuilt myself going to the gym, hiking, playing golf, playing basketball. I went to the Super Bowl. This is in 1990. And then I went to, back to NCR Corporation and asked them if I could come on the sales trip because I didn't get to go to uh, Acapulco, Mexico the year before. They said, get a doctor's writing and you can come back. And I had lunch uh, with the CEO and president and they said, we'd like you to come back to work. You're guaranteed a job. Where do you want to work? I go, warm weather. I don't want, I want to work in warm weather. So they offered me Atlanta or Los Angeles. I chose Los Angeles in the network products division. And I began to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I mean, I I basically was 135 pounds involved. I knew very few people in Los Angeles and I lived in Marina del Rey near the water. Um, Mm -hmm. I I actually got a roommate um, from New York who I didn't know. And I started to put the pieces of my life back together again. So my stamina, my mental toughness, my physical ability. Um, I started to get my career back on track and, 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 and the discipline of getting up and going to work and taking meetings and you know I'm a sales rep on quota and I got to play basketball a lot. That's your happy place for me and it was my healing place. But also I started to uh, do some community service in the Jewish community out there. And long behold, I met my wife, Lisa. Good things started to happen. Um, I started to do volunteer work and raise money and raise funds for people in need. I became a Jewish big brother. Good things are happening. I got my life back. Wow. I got You're
1: my You're bad life. to the bone.
0: <laughs> I <Howard>. am. <laughs> I am. I got my life back. <laughs> you but got up.
1: your bones back in your I, system from your yeah. sister. Wow.
0: Exactly. Good so idea. I, I, her, her immune system was, it What did it. Uh, it was horrible, but it was also what they will tell you for a stage four um, cancer patient Um very quick. So diagnosed in about October of 89 and, and back on track, you know, by, 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 you know, the winter of 1990, that's a very quick, there's people that are on the journey for longer times. And, um, there are also many people in the stage four cancer world that, uh, the cancer burden was too much and God called them to heaven. Well, I got a second chance. So I was going to live deliberately. I was going to live in a balanced way. I was going to give of my time and, 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 uh, and funds to help others. And um, I did, I also be, you know, fell into the trap of becoming a workaholic again, because work got too good, I was making money. And um, I moved up to Silicon Valley. And I started, I was in the startup world, the technology startup world in the nineties. And it was a blast and started to put together uh, companies and uh, raise funds and also still be a big brother and also still do a lot of community service. So I was busy and Lisa said, you're out of balance, you're a workaholic and you're never home for dinner and you're traveling all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, the money's great and the frequent flyer miles are good and the stock options are cool as, as the holy grail, but you got to live a balanced life. And if you want to have a child, all yeah. of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, I got the, I got the sperm on ice and we, yeah. called, we called for it. So miracle number one, twin sister saves my life. I get my life back. Miracle number two, frozen sperm after 11 years gave us a beautiful miracle girl, our frozen kidsicle, Emily, in uh, the uh, August of 2001. So, oh, my God. I mean, life is good. I feel blessed. I feel uh, grateful. And I feel lucky um, had a daughter. And um, it was amazing. And um, I kept doing so the – philic-
1: the specimen had no sell-by date. (laughs) Well, it was good after all those years. It was good after
0: 11 years. I I think the longest period of time they did a defrost was 17 years at that time. So, um, oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, it was expensive. Uh, In vitro uh, has helped make many families now, and it, it helped us get a family. I got to be a dad with my own sperm. And how incredible is that? I mean, it's just amazing. So um, we're in Silicon Valley. Things are great. Uh, a couple companies went public. Uh, I got my life a little bit back in order uh, after the dot com became the dot bomb early in the 2000s. Yeah. And uh, this is, you know, we went from the Sony Walkman time to the iPod time and uh, things started to get digital, right? So in 2005, my sister and I, we moved the, the band back together in Michigan. And Emily and Lisa and I moved to Michigan when she was age four. My sister with three kids, who saved my life, moves with her husband and three kids. Uh, Lisa had a sister here with two boys. They all grew up together. And so that's how we got to Michigan. We've been here for now 18 years. And things were good. I, I had my own two startups. I had a nonprofit um, in, uh, I, and I had a for-profit in serving the largest social networks in the world. Linda, what's the largest social networks in the world? Facebook. No, it's a trick question. Oh. Faith and religion. Faith and religion ah. are the largest <laughs> social networks in the world. Okay. Yeah. And I built platforms to service those. Sorry, trainers. Mel Gibson
1: knew that. That's why he made okay. the movie, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, Mel, Mel's not a fan, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. But anyhow, it was great. So uh, I, I ended up building those platforms. Now, uh, roll the clock forward, okay, uh, uh, to age 50. I'm healthy. I'm playing basketball a ton and I've got my platforms running, and life is good. I'm still doing a ton of community service, and I, get, I go to the, just get my physical, and it's 50 years old, and they said it's time to get your colonoscopy. Now, that screening age is now age 45, unless you have family history or symptoms. If I would have been screened at age 40, things might have turned out differently, but I didn't. I actually woke up from that colonoscopy on June 4th of 2016, and the doc, I said, Doc, is everything okay? He said, no. He said, I found something. I found something in your cecum, which connects your small and uh, large intestine, and I think it's pretty big. It turned out I had an eight-and-a-half-centimeter tumor that took 10 years to grow. Uh, I was basically uh, uh, s- s- symptomatic, and within 10 days, I was in surgery to remove 13 and a half inches of my colon, and, a, and it was called a colon resection or a hemicolectomy and they removed margin and lymph nodes, and a couple of those lymph nodes were positive. Then they installed a chemo port, uh, and then I actually uh, was set up for chemotherapy and started 12 rounds of Rock'em Sock'em chemo, and lightning struck again for me, uh, my second stage four diagnosis. Now, little did they know that um, people that have young onset cancer are susceptible for a second cancer, um, and in theory, um, I didn't get this, I, I didn't get, uh, you know, uh, lymphoma from Roundup, because everyone else around me did cut lawns and grasses growing up, Mm -hmm. and um, I probably got this from the amount of chemotherapy and radiation that took away enzymes that uh, protect me from growing large polyps in my uh, colon, and I I unfortunately was not screened, and um, I actually had to go through uh, intense surgeries, more chemotherapy, failed clinical trials, and I metastasized. A year later, in July of 2017, the cancer spread to my liver. And it spread to my peritoneum or my stomach lining and omentum and my bowel. And things again got dark. But this time I'm my dad. Um, I'm married now for 22 years. And I was a war veteran of cancer. So I was not a deer in the headlights.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: actually was more of a Marine on a mission. Yeah. I wanted to live. And my daughter was a freshman in high school. I was like, And I actually live a few more years to see her graduate high school. And this is the digital age. So I started to rally the troops. I learned great lessons to be selfish and allow people to help me in my time of need. And my wife, my caregiver this time, had a takeover over running the show. And I, I went through a hell. Chemo, surgeries, tons of side effects. And um, I got support by these online advocacy groups, Colon Town, Colon Cancer Alliance, Colonial Coalition. And I found people that were five steps ahead of me that had achieved no evidence of disease. And I learned from them. And I actually got qualified for uh, miracle number three, this surgery called cytoreduction hyperinterpreterial chemotherapy in March of 2018, where they cut me open with what's called a zipper cut from your chest to your pubic bone. And they cut out everything in your pelvis and abdomen with microscopic glasses. Pour hot chemotherapy agent (sighs) in your pelvis and abdomen. We seal you up. And rotate you around like a rotisserie chicken to make sure it spreads evenly within the membranes and the pores and the cells, and that's supposed to kill microcell cancer. I will tell you that um, that surgery took 13 hours. I woke up in the ICU. I pressed the morphine drip button. It took me a year and a half. It's called the mother of all surgeries, and it took me a year and a half to recover. And um it's a miracle I got...
1: You didn't become a doctor after all this.
0: <laughs> so you have to. You have to kind of wow. Be... I mean, again, we're living in a different age. You actually do have to learn about your disease. This yeah. time, you don't actually have to go to the library and get a book on cancer. You can you can search Dr. Google. That's just they give you bad news that I had a 4% chance of living, you know, six to 12 months, you know, yeah. and um, as I said, only the cancer burden being too great and God calling your number, you know, your expiration date. So I, what I ended up doing was learn a lot about my disease, become a patient advocate, so, Linda, I'm going to share with you uh, the, the magic. I know how to cure cancer. I do. Ooh, all right. Don't get it. <laughs> all right. And no, so this, I mean, this, we
1: laugh, but that's really actually it. true. It's
0: true. So here's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, you live a healthy lifestyle as much as possible. I'm not saying don't indulge in sweets or drink once in a while or whatever it is, but you got to know your, your your balance. All right. Live healthy. Exercise a lot hydrate a lot, and get good sleep. Do those things, and that's the starter kit, okay? You can yeah. do those things. Then, because of COVID, we all missed our doctor's appointments. Go get screened. Go get your mammography for women. I know it's a men's show. Go get your prostate checked. Go get your colonoscopy screened. Go get your cardio checked. Go to the damn dentist, okay? If you go get screened, the likelihood of catching any of this earlier, okay, gives you way bigger percentages of success. So live healthy. Go get screened. That is where I screen from the rooftop because you know what I'll do? I'll save you the pain and agony. Don't do chemotherapy. Don't have major surgeries. Don't have all these crazy side effects. Okay. And go on living your life because that's all we want at the end of the day is to live one more minute, one more day, one more week, one more month with our families in our businesses and also carving out some happy time, uh, whether that's vacationing, cooking, yoga, whatever makes you happy. So, um, that's sage advice, man. That's yeah, advice.
1: totally. Now, w- were were they telling you that you got screened late the first time around?
0: No, I just got screened at age 50 because that was you the had, age.
1: Well, you had the little, you know, the the marble on your temple there. So
0: so that was Were different. you
1: saying that you got sc- screened late for that? You were only 23 years old.
0: Right. I didn't get screened late for that. That actually, if that didn't pop out, I probably would have killed me. That was the warning sign. There was no okay. screening for lymphoma, no. um, you actually had to have symptoms. That was my symptom was the, okay. out of my cheekbone there. Um, now, I should have been screened at age 40 or 42 since it takes so long for a polyp to grow, but I had no symptoms. I didn't have blood in my stool. I didn't have any cramping. I didn't have irritable bowel. I didn't have anything that, that gave me the warning flare, go get screened. So I just did what I was supposed to do. At age 50, after your physical, they tell you to go get a colonoscopy. Now they tell you yeah. at 45. Unless you have symptoms, which are tricky, or yeah. unless you have family history, there was, there was no reason. No issue. Ins- yeah. Insurance pays for that colonoscopy now at age 45,
1: mm-hmm.
0: unless you have symptoms or family history. So I've been through the, been through the war, been on the front lines, and um, I, I've learned uh, you know, a couple of huge lessons. And the first lesson was in your time of need, you call for the cavalry. You actually ask for help. That's not what a guy normally does. Right. You ask for help, okay? And then you take that help and be selfish, okay? And that help comes in so many different forms. It can be from the soccer team bringing over meals. It can be from people giving me, you know, uh, rides. It can be just taking a walk. It, It can be actually starting a GoFundMe. There's so many ways. And the area, you know, be able to help someone else is actually lightens your endorphins. It makes you feel good, and it is the right thing to do. You know, even if you can't do anything, you can say a prayer, you can say a cheer, you can send a joke, you can send a meme. You, there's a lot of ways to actually yeah. do that without actually money. But, you are you know, so. Um, now, my... how,
1: how, how did you ask for, for help? Because you're right, guys don't usually ask for help. So how did you set that aside and do it anyway? Or was this the second diagnosis you're saying?
0: Second diagnosis. You started asking first... for help. First diagnosis, I went home to mom and dad, and I was so immune compromised. I, was, my, I, had, I, I really was very limited. Um, and my mom just closed the circle very tightly between, you know, family and friends. Very few people were having access to me um, during that time. But this time with the digital age, um, so um, I basically, uh, I had a lot of convincing to do. Uh, My high school friends and my college friends wanted to run a GoFundMe because I was racking up the medical bills like crazy. I'm talking like $4.8 million. All right, Insurance covered 83%. That's 17% not covered. A lot of money. They ran a GoFundMe, and I finally said, yes, you're right. It would relieve, it would get it off my plate. Um, But here's the thing. I didn't ask for myself. I asked people to support Lisa and Emily. So indirectly, I was asking for myself. And then other people started just doing it. All of a sudden, stuff just starts showing up, the, you know, from people mailing me books and DVDs and other stuff, and, and, and also being able to be asked, how can I help you? When they say, how can I help you? Have an answer. Have an mm-hmm. answer. And I had an answer now. You could donate to my GoFundMe. You can send over a meal. You can send a gift card. You can help take Emily. Yeah. You can help uh, clean the house. You can help Lisa. Go get groceries. Have yeah. the answer. Have the answer. Yeah. Wow.
1: Wow. Awesome. So, how do you have this sunny disposition? Or did you have it before all these? Di- you know, as a kid, you had it. Because you're so upbeat and sunny and bright, and and you know, you, you get you get the worst news, and look what you do with it. You <laughs> you convert it to something good.
0: Well, all right. So, first of all. Um, I had so many bad days, it's not even funny that I didn't want to get out of bed. But you know what? That's not a Facebook post. That's uh, if someone called on the phone, how you doing? I'm doing shitty. How's your day? Talk about you. (laughs) Um, So uh, sorry for cursing. Um, But uh, anyways, I ended up uh, having plenty of bad days, uh, plenty of dark days. But here's the deal. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see Emily graduate high school. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to be involved in her life. And so I'd go to her soccer games. I'd get rides to, uh, I I was a soccer team manager. Um, I was doing stuff for Babson College. I was learning how to become a cancer advocate. Um, I was learning and trying to actually use that time. And my friends were dragging me out into the basketball court, even though I was just after chemotherapy. Now after surgeries, I had to wait a little bit. I had friends that were dragging me to the gym just to go 15 minutes on the treadmill. so you have your support staff that was doing it. Now I am, I was a cancer veteran. So I started to build my mental toughness and I'm a tough guy anyways. And I consider that I got that from being athletic and being on team sports. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really went from within, I was 135 pounds and bald again, I was weak and I had to build myself back up. So mm-hmm. I basically said, all right, emotionally, you're allowed to have your bad days. Okay. I was on steroids and and I just had, you know, I was freaking me out. Um, I, uh, I had days where chemo brain and I just was, I couldn't get out of bed. So I didn't, but I allowed myself a little grace, but I also said on those good days, Mm -hmm. I got myself moving even in the snow, even in, I mean, the dog had to walk a little further and I kept pushing myself and I kept track of that. And, um, I, I I really pushed hard on my myself. Now also, um, I didn't feel sorry for myself very long. I allowed myself a grieving period, and I said, okay, now we gotta we gotta we gotta know what's important here. If if my clock is ticking faster, and my time is limited here. We're gonna actually make memories, and we're gonna make it worth it, and we did. And um, again, within the constraints of still being under treatment, when you're actually not on treatment. Uh, I still have a chemo port. I'm still under surveillance. But in September, I'll be four years, no evidence of disease. I am desperately putting cancer in the background, except for using that as a lesson of inspiration. So what did I do, Linda? I actually, I went from cancer to COVID, and I dictated and wrote my book, Shining Brightly. So for those that can see, I have my book, Shining Brightly, here. Mm -hmm. And this took three years. I interviewed the most important, influential people in my life. 158 interviews. Okay. And that became transcripts, which became drafts, which became chapters, which became a manuscript, which became a book. I'm a published author. Yay. Right. I told my story and it's not a cancer book. This is a book of family, of memories, of lessons of how to lead a resilient life with hope and do good things in the world. And yeah. that's a, it's an instruction manual, but that's my memoir. I wrote the history of my life. I got to walk back my life. How cool is that? That's so that awesome. Was, that was part of my healing. I yeah. accomplished something in three years, and I published a book. And now I am a paid speaker on the tour, speaking about cancer thirty years apart, entrepreneurship, mentorship, leadership, interfaith work. Um, and so I speak on stages all over the place. I have my own podcast, and um, this is my new career. Yeah, this is my new career. But I am also a mentor, friend. And I am a huge cancer advocate, and I speak at a lot of pharmaceutical medical device conferences to give the patient perspective. And I talk about men's health a lot, a lot.
1: I love that you used giving back as a as a way to possibly heal yourself, because a lot of times I get messages from my young men and they're depressed and, you know, they're not making any money or like whatever bad things are going on in their life. And one of the things I do recommend is get out of your head. It's like go volunteer somewhere. Go help others because it, it breaks that negative cycle, that negative talk that's in your head because you're extending yourself to the other person. So important.
0: Absolutely. So important. Um, I actually on my website, shindabrettly.com, uh, have a download on survivorship and it, it's, it's not just surviving cancer. It's surviving life. It's, it's a lifestyle yeah. here. And I always say um, that uh, life, business, cancer, okay, any difficulties, it becomes a team sport, okay? Listen, I understand that there are people, you know, that golf and play tennis, but they have coaching and finances and teams behind them. If you climb Mount Everest, you're usually not climbing it solo alone. You have Sherpas and you have other people with you, okay? Teams teams score touchdowns. Teams win. And so you rally your troops. You bring in the cavalry. And if you don't have a cavalry, one can be set up for you. And um, I got mentors that were cancer whispers that were five steps ahead of me. And now I cancer whisper to people that are five steps behind me on the journey. And I love that too. That's important um, yeah. to do that because mentorship is really true leadership and giving. And I've got to tell you, you can learn about yourself by being a mentor or allowing yeah. yourself to be a mentee. It's important.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you learn the lesson again when you're teaching it to somebody else, and it just becomes more solidified.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, listen, I I, um, I I got to be a big brother, and this is before I had any kids. So I had yeah. a 10-year-old guy named Ian, and we went to the beach and played chess, and uh, he, he was a little ADD uh, and a little hyperactive, but mm-hmm. I took him to his first concert. Um, we, we got to do so much with each other, people like, uh, and I have a chapter on the book on mentorship where I, I, feature this and I say, you know, they, oh, you did so much for Ian. Oh my God. Ian did so much for us. He came to get his law clerkship here in Michigan and he, um, uh, that I helped him with. And he, he, he got to play soccer with Emily every day. Emily calls him uncle Ian. Okay. And now he had a kid and, and his, his son, Noble is one is going to call, you know, aunt Emily. I mean, we're family now. Now that doesn't yeah. always happen. but. Oh, my God, we learn so much for each other. And um, it's, I can't even imagine you know, not having Ian in my life. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, okay? Sometimes matches break and you go your other way. But Ian and I are not the norm. We, we've been now matched for uh, 31 years. Wow. And um, he lives in Oregon. We talk all the time. Um, I was the best man in his wedding. And um, it's, uh, it's something that I cherish. And it yeah. makes, like, really interesting, really cool OK, when you're, you know, you take that much of your time and effort to uh, uh, really help develop someone. But in the same process I developed, I grew. Mm-hmm. I think I became a better person and a better manager for that and a better business person, too.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um So let's go back to the days when things were good. I think you were in Silicon Valley, and Lisa says to you, okay, the money's good, the travel points are good. You need to, like, reorganize your life. Tell us a little bit about the work-life balance. Why was that important to do?
0: So we're human, okay? (laughs) Uh, I fell off the wagon because I started to actually think that the job, okay, was yeah. more important and, and the top priority. When family needed to be the top priority, community service needed to be the second priority, and business should have been a third or fourth priority, but it wasn't. And I was building and growing from you know, four people to 210 people and, and building revenue and flying all over the place, and I let it, I let it get the best of me. I, I made that more important. And Lisa brought me back down to earth, Mm -hmm. And the community service helped. And um, the dot-com went through a fizzle called the dot-bomb in the early 2000s. And that's when I started my own platforms. And I did learn the lesson. I was home for dinner. I got to be in part of uh, all of Emily's life moments. Um, I had more balance. And I call it the discipline. Living intentionally, I actually finally, you know, at age 35, started to mature. I started to mature. And I was doing it the right way, and um, I can honestly say that i was it the wrong way to go sprint as fast as I can to to get a startup to go public? No, but I had to learn that lesson. Many people before me and after me have to do that too, but I can tell you that um, the work will still get done, okay if you pace yourself. Remember, I just told people, okay, live a healthy life by eating right and hydrating and sleeping. And it's very difficult with our digital devices today to turn things off. You yeah. can always be on. So, you know what I do? I don't know. I, today, at from 2 to 2.30 um, Eastern time, I scheduled a walk in the park without my phone. Ah, oh, I because love that. I actually had, uh, you know, I wanted to be fresh and ready for, you know, this radio cast with you. And mm-hmm. I needed to clear my head. I had yeah. a busy morning. I had, a, I wanted to clear my head. So I'm intentional about that. And so um, it takes discipline to be able to do that. And so I'm, I think that um, I'm living, I'm, I'm, I'm not only talking the talk, but I'm walking the walk now.
1: At age, 50,
0: at age 57, we can always learn. And did I do a pivot? Oh, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur, but it's now Howard Brown, Inc. and Shining Brightly, Inc. Because I'm a book salesman. I'm selling my services to paid speaking. I'm podcasting and I'm coaching. And um, I, I, I'm still an entrepreneur. None of that left yeah. me. Life I'm still, is good. I'm still, I'm still hustling.
1: Give a shout out to your podcast. What's the uh, the link or the address to the podcast?
0: So it's easy. It's shining hyphen brightly. Okay. Um, dot captivate.fm. Okay. Okay. So it's, uh, it's that's, that's all my podcast. That's the, the hosting home for it. There's 28 uh, episodes. And I want to tell you something. This is a surprise. Yeah. Episode 28 happens to be your episode, and it launched at four this morning, <laughs> and it was so much fun, and it's just coincidence that it happened today, but it's, you know, why to date like a caveman, and how you interviewed 20,000 men, okay, and clap, captured all that data to become the subject matter expert in men's advocacy and dating. Um, oh, my God, we had a blast, and it is now launched to the public. And uh, everyone should come and listen and take a download and give a review. It's it's, it's oh my god, we had so much fun.
1: <laughs> we did have so much fun. <laughs> it was a barrel of laughs. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to hear it live. That that'll be great, or hear it on the uh, the replay. Yeah. So anyway, my audience, you're listening to Howard. Yeah, he's right here with us, and um, Howard Brown. And you you can find his book. Go to Shining. Brightly.com, shiningbrightly.com. You don't have to worry. Of course, I'll put all the links uh, in the show notes. um, You know, when we get done with the show here. And any closing thoughts you would like to impart to the audience?
0: I would. And 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 Linda, I have to do this. I'm putting on my white and gold metallic sunglasses because. I am shining brightly because of you today, so I'm sending it right back to you. We're <laughs> shining together. So you can reach me, as Linda said, at ShiningBrightly.com for speaking books, podcasts. Uh, reach me uh, for interactions, the downloads um, on, the, uh, the, on the discussion guides. Um, and I want to close with this, Linda, is that if we all just shine brightly a little bit each day, oh. we will make this world a better place for ourselves, for others, and our communities. Let's get to it.
1: It just takes a tiny bit of effort. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) I love that. And for my audience, if you happen to have missed our, our last show, it was just yesterday actually, um, we were joined by my guest, Dr. Slava Shut, who is a doctor of physical therapy and also an entrepreneur, and he talked to, to us about achieving financial freedom. So we went over f- financial coaching, mentorship, uh, real estate, even if you don't have a lot of money, he talked about real estate syndicates where you could share you know share the risk and uh come in with a smaller amount of money um he also talked about he also has a podcast and he talked about how you can use a podcast To boost your business so if your business is woodworking or being a CPA or whatever your business is you can use that as a calling card as an additional way to gain credibility with your audience so you'll want to check out that show Um, you you can find it right here on in the archives blogtalkradio.com or SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify and if 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 not there, just type in your favorite, um, you know, a podcasting platform. I'm sure we are there too. So the Men's Advocate show, and you'll be able to pull that up. Okay, let's pay a quick bill, and we'll be right back to close out the show. Let's see, Ooh, went away. Okay, hold on. Do 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 do. And now, The Science of Mastering Women is on audiobook. Yes, you can get it too. So, go to awesound.com forward slash Linda Gross. That's com forward slash Linda Gross. Also, you can find it on all the popular platforms. Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, and much, much more. See you then. All right. Howard, thank you so much for joining our program today. You've uh, spread some uh, brightness and sunlight into um, our homes and our earbuds, and I really appreciate it. We'll have to do this again sometime soon.
0: I would really enjoy that. Thank you for having me today.
1: Absolutely. All right, my audience, I'll put all the links to Howard. By the way, we didn't even talk about this too much, but he is also a mentor and a business coach, so he's just a very well-rounded person. You can talk to him about (laughs) any bad news that you get from the doctors all the way to, you know, how to kick off your career being an entrepreneur. So he's there to listen to um, listen to your wants and needs. All right. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next week right here on Blog Talk Radio, Um, and we'll see you next week with the Men's Advocate Show. Bye for now.